Okay, excellent. Hello, welcome to another CCAM podcast. I'm here with Fred Destin, who's just come in um, to talk to our founders about fundraising, um, hacking the fundraising process and, and leveling that up. Now we've got you in afterwards for a, for, for a CCAM podcast. Just wanted to talk a bit more about you yourself, you know, how you got to this point in time. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. So, yeah, I'm a Belgian national, but from the age of 14, I started living in the UK. And whilst I went back to study in Brussels, I think my life has been characterized by moving around the globe as the, the sort of whim took me. So I've lived in New York, Hong Kong, Boston, uh, Lake Geneva, London, and, and pretty much all over the place, uh, at least in, in Africa and Asia. Um, so consider myself very much a citizen of the world. I don't, I'm not quite sure where yeah. I'm from anymore. Yeah. You studied in Brussels? Yeah, so I went to a, a school called Solvay, which uh, mixes sort of engineering and finance. It's a very unique degree that was designed in the Victorian era to prepare managers who were both good at engineering and at numbers so sort of a, a weird hybrid degree yeah and so you went you went from that straight into finance right yeah so i actually probably have the worst background of anyone i know to be in venture capital um, i started doing uh, derivatives at jp morgan then later at goldman sachs and was usually on the new products team so doing hybrid products doing uh, product innovation so securitization of film rights securitization of rolling stock for trains, you know, uh, inflation link swaps and all sorts of stuff, uh, which was which was great fun for about seven years because we were constantly inventing new products. But I lived, I lived the drift of the financial industry around the use of derivatives. They were used for risk management at the beginning. And by the time I left, I was somewhat disgusted with the fact that we were arbitraging the shit out of everything. And you know, I always wanted to be involved in innovation and so decided to take the jump almost nine years before the crisis uh, mm -hmm. hit. But I could tell that the, I could, I could say that the, the warning signs in terms of poor risk management and hubris and et cetera were quite clearly there. Yeah. So what, what kind of years, are, so this is kind of getting to 2000, 2001. So yeah, I jumped into a seed stage fund in 2000 at the time if you're carrying a Goldman Sachs card, you could pretty much do anything. This was the, the bubble days. And it was very fast learning through the bubble because uh, I was sort of in a fund and incubator called Speed Ventures, which took a, a few companies public like Let's Buy It. So had strong early success, raised 70 million euros, but it was really a tale of going up fast uh, on the up curve with the bubble and going down equally as fast. Um, so the tourists, I think it got really tough end of uh, 2000, early one, it got tougher. And I would say that the, the tourists left the industry and only people who were really passionate about backing entrepreneurs and building companies in tough times uh, stayed because there was no obvious way any of us were going to make any money. So it became really the people that were left around the table were much more mission driven, I think, than PR driven, let's say. Yeah, and, and you've said at that point, going from derivatives and then getting into venture, from that moment on, it hasn't felt like your work has been work somehow. I mean, that, I guess that seems obvious, but tell us more about that. Well, no, this sort of the magic moment is when you realize that you stop thinking about Mondays and that, you know, working with entrepreneurs and backing entrepreneurs and, and helping to build companies becomes part of who you are. Uh, and so having that sort of personal, personal alignment between you know, what you do for money and what your personal values are is uh, is pretty unique and you know it's always felt uh, right in my place 
didn't want to be an operator, but had enough operational sense and empathy to be, I think, a, a decent advisor to entrepreneurs. Um, had a thirst for knowledge, which means working on 12 to 15 projects in parallel is something that I, I thrive on. You know, I'm very decisive. I'm very happy with risk-taking. I'm very happy with uncertainty. And I think all these qualities are helpful when you're working with entrepreneurs. And so, yeah, I loved it. I never thought about work ever again. Yeah. And I think for, for a lot of entrepreneurs looking over the other side of the table to the VCs, kind of seeing that it is this job that, that people really aspire to if you're on this side of the business, it must come with some downsides as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the VC, the VC job, there's a reason why people get a bit lazy and complacent because everybody comes and asks you for money and, you know, you're sitting behind the desk and you're deciding who gets it, who doesn't. And so it breeds a certain form of complacency and, and arrogance, which is, which is dangerous. Um, and I think the downsides in terms of personal satisfaction of being a VC is that you can be really close to a success story. Like I was really close to Alex Chessman at Zoopla. Uh, I was really close to Scott Knoll at Integral Ad Science as they were building some pretty significant businesses. But you're never fully in it. So you're, you're close enough, but you're fundamentally a spectator. So yeah. the guys who get frustrated with VCs are the people who don't feel like they, they own the story. So you're close, but you're not quite, you're in the room, but you're not you know, making the decisions and building it. Yeah. Um, what does drive satisfaction though is that you, you end up building the venture business itself. So when I was at Atlas and we did a fairly dramatic turnaround, you know, there was a real sense of ownership around reinventing the brand and rebuilding the team and, and repositioning the fund and, and sort of making it successful. Uh, but it's not quite the same as, I think, uh, owning the success of a startup from the inside. Right? Yeah. So, so just kind of taking a step back in the journey. So you're at, you're at Speed, uh, Speed Ventures for a couple of years, which is where you cut your teeth in VC, but then moved to Atlas 2004. And you've already mentioned, you know, people like Zoopla, people like Dailymotion. But talk us through what, how was that journey into, into Excel at that, that period of time? Yeah, so actually between Speed Ventures and Atlas, I was at a, uh, an art fund, uh, which is called Online Markets Technology Investments, which was an offshoot of an investment bank called Dresner. And we, there was a kind of visionary Greek guy called Achilles Macris who handpicked uh, four or five people to run that fund, fully focused. We were all young. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, so we focused thematically on IP services and on fintech and relentlessly pursued the best opportunities around the globe. And we were active at a time when the market was really tough. You know, the WorldCom uh, collapse was in, I mean, there was September 11, then the WorldCom collapse in March uh, 01, 02, sorry. Uh, and, you know, these were the roughest, toughest post-bubble years. I mean, people focus on the bubble, but the reality is it's the telecoms implosion that really hurt everyone because there was real cash being sucked out of the ecosystem. And so we were in a fortunate position where we had a small group of four relatively outbound and, and, and relatively smart people pursuing thematic opportunities. And so we built quite a nice, sort of a nice fund actually out of, out of not much by being, by being vertically focused like that. And then when the Dresner Allianz merger went sideways, uh, you know, Dresner decided to jettison all of its private equity and venture activities. And so I ended up on the road solo, actually, with my fund, with a management fee, with a portfolio, trying to find a new home for it. And that's how I intersected with Atlas. So 
is really again a story I think of uh, perseverance around trying to do something with that fund. I ended up placing it with Vertex in Israel as a manager, and then I personally uh, I didn't want to be parked on the beach uh, with a nice salary, so I decided to join Atlas in uh, in 2004. And Atlas had seen me pitch the fund. They weren't interested in taking on my fund, but they were interested in taking me on. So yeah. that's how I get it. Yeah, interesting. And and then so through that time, that was actually when you when you then kind of left Europe and, and went over to Boston. How was how was that transition? Were you, were you kind of nervous about making that jump over the pond, or were you embracing it? Yeah. So it's interesting because you you're a European uh, VC. At that time, I had interesting stuff in the portfolio. But, you know, it was, Zoopla was still early, Dailymotion hadn't exited, Price Minister hadn't exited, and, and, you know, your portfolio, for long years in VC, you don't know if you're any good, and I think even, even today, you know, you still yeah. can question how good you are. Yeah. Um, but so you're, you're in a damaged fund that's trying to reinvent itself, you move to a very competitive market, which is the US, and can, from the outside, look quite daunting. My view on that was kind of not to care too much and just to say, you know what, I'm going to go to Boston and I'm going to do what I do well, which is engage with entrepreneurs early, get involved with, uh, in this case, Techstars, since there's no seed camp in Boston, uh, but really support, the, play a role in the ecosystem. And the benefit of Boston at the time is still in transition, so the, a lot of VCs were suits. And there were some emerging VCs like Antonio Rodriguez at Matrix and, and, and a bunch of others who were more of the younger generation. But I think there was an opportunity to bring a different ethos or mindset or way of communicating with the entrepreneurs. And I jumped right into that. And my lesson from that was, if you want to make an impact, you get to decide on what dimension you can win. And for me, the dimension was, you know, the transparent open source VCs, I call it, which is the guy who talks transparently about how the market functions, how entrepreneurs get funded, how companies fail, and, and try to build goodwill with the ecosystem from the ground up. And actually that worked really well. I think it, I was surprised after six months, you know, I turned around and I was like, wow, you're actually having, being part of a community, first of all, so being embraced by a community and then having an impact, you know, having a voice and sort of helping people think about venture a little bit differently. And it chimed in with what we did with Atlas, which is moved from a classic venture fund to a very much a seed-led fund. And so we had decided we wanted to be the best seed fund in Boston, seed and series A fund, but really with a focus on seed and be the first call for any entrepreneur raising seed financing in Boston. Again, because we thought we were good at it and it's a dimension on which we could win. And so the strategy that we designed for the fund as part of you know, having everybody in Cambridge and my personal brand strategy, if you like, were fully aligned. Yeah. And, and so you talked a bit in the session about, you know, really enjoying the mentoring and coaching and still really want to kind of help out those early stage founders. And during your time um, at Atlas at some point, 2007, 2008, you were actually very involved in the creation of Seacamp right at the beginning. What was it like back then here in London and, and what were your motivations for getting involved? Yeah. Um, so there, there were a number of people uh, at the, the genesis of Seacamp. Uh, I think I actually talked to Matthias Lungman at Atomico first, bizarrely enough, uh, then to Sean Park, then to uh, Sarah Murray and all these people that were sort of thinking about Seacamp. And the whole thing started to coalesce as a project with, you know, Index Ventures and Atlas being the two uh, kind of anchor institutions, if you like. And I think Atomico on the first one, so three. Um, and then galvanizing 12 to 14 angels, something like that, to kind of put money behind it and make it real. 
And my motivation was quite simple, which was to say, you know, I don't see any immediate economic benefit necessarily, but I think you have the ecosystem you deserve. And if Europe had an ecosystem issue, then that needed to be solved through ecosystem initiatives. And you know, if you took the long-term view of trying to build a thriving market, you know, we needed something like SeedCamp to sort of bring the community together, give it a core, give it a place to exist, give it a purpose, which was to find and source, uh, source and fund seed companies. And I thought that was that was worthy. And you know, I ended up so I joined the initial board, and then I ended up staying for five years on the board because I think Reshma and Carlos were. Every year, I sort of ask me, "Hey, can you can you do another tour yeah. of duty?" Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy I contributed back. You know, I think it was it had a very meaningful impact on the ecosystem, and it makes us a better. I think the success of Europe today is a mixture. Uh, it comes from a mixture of things, but I, I'm sure Seed Camp, when the history is written, will have played an important role. Yeah. In that. Well, I was going to ask that. So you know, you, you've had the benefit of hindsight. So seeing all of those years. But also the benefit of seeing how the London and European ecosystem has developed against what you what you saw in the US out in Boston and, and wider than that. How far have we come and what's left to do here as a European ecosystem? Well, so the, you know, when I came back in September of last year, I mean, I was delighted to come back to Excel, which is clearly a you know, pretty phenomenal platform. But I had serious misgivings about going back to an environment that was somewhat slow, somewhat conservative, etc. And I think the doors have really blown, been blown open mm-hmm. in terms of the, um, the level of ambition, you know, the, the desire to succeed, the, the acceptance of failure, etc. So it's really from a mindset standpoint that you see a lot more freedom and speed and you know, we sort of unshackled ourselves. Um, it is still striking to me how fragmented the ecosystem is. So angels, for example, don't do a lot of cross-border collaboration. Um, and I think it's a shame. I mean, the, there's a unique problem around Europe, which is, you know, this sort of geographical diversity creates some opportunities as well, but it's mostly a concern. And I'm surprised that we don't have more sort of pan-European collaboration, especially on the seed side, to sort of say, hey, let's swarm the best angels around a specific company. Uh, we we're still seeing a lot of like local creations that end up competing with each other which is a bit of a waste of time, frankly, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So too many local champions still, too much local thinking. And I think we, if we thought about the ecosystem as a set of clusters that need to collaborate, we'd be much better off. Yeah. But I think, we look, we've come a long way. Any comparison to the Bay Area is doomed to fail, and it's the same for everybody. So let's just not do that. Yeah. And then, I mean, so coming to Excel now, you talked about Excel's approach to Europe and then also these concepts of coming at it with a prepared mind. But then also the other thing that surprised me was the amount of outbound you really flag, you know, we're out there hunting for deals where I think a lot of founders, they think, you know, the VCs are probably all waiting for us to come knocking on their doors. So if you think about the macro problem, there's a finite number of companies created every year that will fit the type of profile that we're looking for. So whether they can become ClickView or Supercell or blah, blah, blah. And so it's when you run $500 million funds, you're forced to look for very large outcomes. And then the reality is they come from everywhere. We have Prezi in Bulgaria, Supercell in Finland, we have Wallapop in Spain, we have blah, blah, blah in Paris, uh, we have Katawik in Holland, uh, all of which are high-performing companies and then deliver in London, right? So uh, needle in the haystack problem, you can't afford to sit on your ass. And so you have to do a mixture of thoughtful and coverage. So the thoughtful piece is what we call prepared minds. So we run them systematically. There are deep dives on segments, blockchain, you know, VR, 
you know, which, which we go thematically and then we really analyze the market in depth and then see if there are European opportunities. And then we'll try and talk to everybody within a segment. Um, there is outbound, serendipitous outbound, I would say, which is tracking product hunt, tracking TechCrunch, using App Annie, using Metamark. And like you correctly say, we do way more outbound than people realize. And then there is nurturing a network that feeds inbound, which is influencers, angels, power brokers, former entrepreneurs, etc. And you sort of have to do all of the above whilst maintaining a certain level of thoughtfulness. So actually, you know, you, your agenda is what you decide to put in it instead of the, you know, the, the, the flow of opportunities kind of dictating where you spend your time. So it's a constant struggle and it's, uh, it's an optimal, it's a sort of a systems design problem. But yeah, we spend a lot of time out there, which is why I was saying content marketing is probably the best way to get noticed by VCs, which is put out great products, win great customers, we're likely to find you. Uh, this may be specific to an Excel, like I'm not sure that every, you know, that every fund in Europe is, is that systematic, but we're pretty systematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you went, you went through, I mean, you've kind of gone out and surveyed some founders about their fundraising experience. Definitely with mixed results. But what would you say, I mean, if you look at the VC community in Europe, what are we doing wrong? Or what, what's the kind of one key behavior that we could change, either to be more founder friendly or to back bigger success stories? So the founder friendliness aspect, so the big turnoffs are relatively simple to fix and they have to do with empathy and thoughtfulness. So be on time at meetings, don't check your email, be engaged in the meeting and try and think about what you can provide back. If a founder comes to see you and he's spending time with you and he's giving his precious time to pitch the company, it's not something you take for granted, it's something where you say thank you. And you say thank you usually not by investing, because we invest in very few companies. You say thank you by providing something back. Uh, useful feedback in the meeting, engagement in the meeting, you know, but also a bit of mentoring, a bit of feedback, a few thoughts to take away, maybe an intro if you really like the guy. Um, but just do simple things that make people feel good and like they've been, uh, they've been listened to. And it's just a don't make them feel like they've been listened to, actually listen to them. I think that's kind of the mental engagement in the meeting to realize you have a human being in front of you who's on a hard journey of building a company uh, is important. And I think that's the number one thing I'd fix. Now in terms of thinking big, you know, uh, we have too many, it's the classic, I'm, I'm gonna tell you things that everybody knows, but <laughs> too many people focus on a path to profitability too early. Mm. Too many people are impatient in the face of complex problems and let their fear as investors drive them rather than being living the reality of the company. So I think the more we can be in the reality of the company, what the team can actually achieve, whether you have talent gaps, uh, whether the market timing is off, etc., the more you can live in the reality of a business in terms, instead of your own view of where the business should be, the more you're going to build healthy, two-way, transparent, and, and collaborative relationships with your entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of European VCs, I'm sorry to say, but they kind of suck at that. You know, it's really very much talking down to the entrepreneur. They think good management is basically putting pressure on you. Like, I don't know how your business is run, so I'm just going to set unreasonable goals and see if you can hit them. And, and so that sort of relationship is not one way you can build trust. And where the guys on the West Coast shine is they truly are conviction investors. Mm. Find a great person you know, or a great team, find a great macro trend and 
go. Yeah. And we are so much still in a logic of control and that you know is not that helpful. We don't run this business. Yeah. And if, if that kind of behavior or that mindset stays or kind of lingers in the ecosystem, do you think the result will be that we just don't, you don't see as many big companies coming out of Europe or is it actually that those will potentially lose those European founders, they'll go straight to the US where they hear these stories of higher valuations, you know, bigger ambition, etc. So I think we are losing a bunch of founders. Um, sometimes, by the way, they idealize the Bay Area. I mean, it's, uh, it's not exactly like it's uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's also tough to raise money there. But yeah, we do lose founders. We lose the mindshare game. I think the market's evolving. So we have new managers. I mentioned Frederick Court at Felix. Uh, which is great because these guys see success breeds success. So those VCs that have had success feel more comfortable in their skin and are okay to take bigger risks and are also okay to let founders actually run the company. Those people that have not had success tend to be more and more anxious and tend to be in a logic of control which perpetuates itself. And you know, part of the issue is we have too much public funding in VC, right? So there is not enough natural selection of managers because a lot of managers are being propped up by public funding, which then leaves no room for genuine, high-quality, battle-tested new managers to emerge. And so I think it's evolving nicely. It's been moving quite fast in the last few years, but there's still some more to do. Excellent. So uh, we, as is tradition on the Seacamp podcast, we're going to leave with a shameless plug. So is there anything you can think of that you want to tell the listeners out there? Well, so I, I want to actually plug my former partner, Jeff Fagnan at Atlas, which is now called Accomplice for a specific reason. Jeff has done the most work of anyone in Boston to get the tech community engaged in charity through, uh, for example, Tech Gives Back, which is a day of community uh, giving back for the entire you know, we used to bus 800 people on various sites in Boston uh, with something called TUG, which is a fundraising initiative where the tech community selects five charities that have to do with technology and education. Uh, and then these people pitch and actually the, the, the winners uh, get some money. And uh, a number of initiatives like that, there's a couple more around getting the tech community engaged in giving back. So I'm just back from the US and I've sort of been thinking about that as a theme, which is how do we get the tech community more engaged with also local communities like you know, Tower Hamlets, etc., to see whether we can contribute something back. And so my plug is to Jeff uh, and sort of setting the challenge to myself to do something about yeah. it. Awesome. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. If people want to follow you or follow Excel, how do they? So I tweet quite happily. I enjoy tweeting and I'm at F Destin, D-E-S-T-I-N. Uh, on occasion, I write a blog when I don't think it's noisy. But, but thoughtful and um, yeah otherwise you'll see me around the conferences I guess. cool excellent thank you